We're going to get into this throughout this whole message. I'll try and, be, I'll try and get through it all at, at the same time. But separation anxiety. And I'd like to open with us reading James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. It's James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. Just to open us up right into it. And if you've read the book of James, it, it will open you right into it. <laughs> James 1, 22. Let's begin. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here uh, with your people. God, I just uh, pray that it would be your words, not mine. Jesus, it's through your blood alone that we are connected, that we are saved. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would override whatever I'm saying, and that it would be your words, that you would help me to deliver this message today, Lord, what you would have for the community at High Street Worship Center. Lord, bless each and every person that is here, and through the reading of your word, we are blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how many here have kids? So, with a raise of hands. It's no big surprise, you're not going to get pointed out, put in a group. So, I had my first son a year and a half ago. So we're now a year and a half deep, and I can say I've never laughed more in my life, more consecutively. I've also never panicked quite as much in my life. And I've noticed that as he grows, almost every week something is new about him, right? And as he's grown, I've watched him as a little human being, as a little man almost, as he wants different things and does different things. And I've watched him and learned that some days, or some moments of every day, I should say, all he wants is to be held, like a koala. He will climb up my leg and I will hold him. I'll try to put him down and he'll hold tighter, right? Some moments, though, are not quite as affectionate. He will want to run off and learn what else is around. And he doesn't have that idea right away of, maybe I should make sure dad's right behind me. He goes, right? Almost any direction he chooses, and it's up to me to follow him. But I'll watch, and almost every time, he'll go and he'll go and he'll go, and he'll hit a point where he'll stop and look over, and sometimes, this is a terrible joke, but I'll hide, and he'll look and wonder, what happened? And he'll take a few steps. Sometimes he'll go, eh, and he'll keep going. But sometimes he will start to shift from curious and exploring to a little bit of anxiety almost of, where's my dad? And I find that funny because sometimes that's like us as believers, right? Is we do this thing called life day in and day out, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way to Sunday, back at it again. And sometimes we can catch ourselves getting a little anxious over silly things, right? Sometimes serious and heavy things, but Either one. And if we know scripture, it says many times, don't be anxious, but we find ourselves doing that. You know, I believe that many times we get into a routine, and in the routine, sometimes we get lost and we go, where is this anxiety coming from? Of course, it brings us back to the Father. But we wonder, how, how could this happen? And how am I tying this in as we kind of dissect this word from James? You know, we're similar to these children when we, we, we want to be affectionate sometimes, but we also need to go and explore and, and do certain things, and we can get carried away. So if we look at James, it says, don't be just hearers, be doers of the word. And, and let's start with piece one of what it means to be doers of the word. And sometimes the hard part is we get lost and wrapped up in doing and in, in, you know, hearing the word and doing ministries day in and day out, and we still get this anxiety, this separation almost. And number one reason, obviously, is we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is so far from Christ. And so one step away, and you can be swallowed up by anxiety left and right. 
But how do we be doers in this world? I think step one can be found in Romans chapter 10. For those of you who are turning there with me, I'll give you a second to go to Romans chapter 10. I believe this is, we're going to do a little walkthrough. You know, when I, when I like to read scripture, I like to try and dig through. And the beautiful part about scripture is it never contradicts itself. So you can read one thing in Genesis and it'll agree with what's in Revelation. You can jump through what Paul says all the way back to what Moses says, and it never contradicts itself. So I like to jump around. Hopefully you guys will uh, humor me here. Um, Romans chapter 10, we're going to go to verse 17. And luckily it's up there, so I don't have to find it myself. So <laughs> faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Now we just heard from James. You can keep that verse up for just a second. We just heard from James, don't be just hearers. But I think in order to get to the doer part, you got to know what the hearer does, right? And what does hearing do? Hearing is where our faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The word of Christ. Okay, so we're kind of a little more solidified here on what hearing is. Okay, so we should be in the word of Christ. So the less we hear, the less we work to understand the word of God, the less our foundation is fortified. You follow me so far? This is huge because I, I'm actually just sharing something I've been going through over the past two years, and I pray that it blesses you guys. And I felt on my heart that this is something to be transparent about, what I've gone through with this. You know, the other day I had a little bit of an epiphany. I was sitting around a fire pit with a bunch of men that I truly do respect, all believers, and we were there for hours, man, just, just chatting it up about our favorite movie that had come out recently, about life, our craziest thing that happened, you know, uh, last time we got sick, whatever. Anything that came up, we were chatting about it. And then out of nowhere, someone brought up, man, I've really been diving into this piece of, of scripture in Revelation. Can't wrap my head around. The whole thing shifted. The whole scene shifted. Then it turned into everything we've all been kind of digesting from what we've been reading, from the fellowship we've been in, to how do I, what does scripture really say about that? To pulling out our phones and zipping to parts of scripture. And let me tell you, I woke up. What did I do the next day? Told my wife about everything we talked about. You have no idea. We went from Revelation to James to all the way back to what Moses was saying. To, you know, and it was great. And she says, wow, I've never seen you like this. And then my epiphany hit right in that moment where I said, I don't want a single intimate relationship with somebody to not have Christ at the center for both of us. Right? Now think about that. Now maybe I'm learning this too late. And maybe prayerfully everyone here has already caught this, this, this uh, signal. But I, I, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't want a single I'll catch the word intimate, because we'll have relationships with different people at different times, but intimate, where I'm sitting around talking with them. I don't want one conversation. Can I be honest with you? One conversation where Christ doesn't come up somewhere. And why? Because that is what will keep him on my mind. That is what will keep him going, because what comes out of your mouth is what's from the heart. But keep it on your mind, and then you're fortifying that foundation of faith. So that... uh. It takes it from, you know, the world took this phrase and ran with it, right? It became a cliche Christian phrase of, it's about a relationship, man. Relationship with Jesus. That's it, right? And it is. We need a personal relationship with Jesus. But what's the next step? Because it doesn't just stop with the relationship. I have a relationship with my wife. But if I never have fellowship with her, that's going to be one unhappy wife. Let me tell you right now. She'll tell you herself. If I go a week without fellowship, without treating her, without taking her out, without spending time learning her, that relationship ain't going to be so bright. You know what I'm saying? But if I have fellowship with her, if I treat her like I want to know her, 
if I take her out, if I spend time learning her, then she feels loved. If we have just a relationship with God and it stops there, what do we really have? We need fellowship with him. We need to walk with him. And, and we need to be reading his word and not just reading it, but sharing it with those around us so we can understand deeper. So let's keep going. What does Jesus have to say about this? Because I don't know about you, but as I'm reading through scripture, I like to try and give a nod to the words Jesus himself spoke. There's just something about it for me, and I like to bring things back to him. And so if we turn to Matthew 7, there's going to be a piece in there where Jesus himself says something about being doers and, and being hearers, or vice versa, hearers and, and doers. And that's chapter 7, verses 21. And we're going to read 21 through 23, but I, I wanted them to only put up 20 to 22 just for personal reasons. So, you know, if we go to Matthew, and Jesus... I mean, sometimes we get so wrapped up in this um, the secular view of Jesus, right? The lovey-dovey Jesus that never has justice on his mind, never has the Father on his mind. He only just wants to love and care for. And there's a time for love, but Jesus was love and justice in a beautiful way. He was intertwined so perfectly. For those of you who maybe have never heard the full story of the reason why we're here is Jesus is the reason we have a place with God because he died for our sins, he literally took all our sins upon himself to die for us. He was the most beautiful story ever written. So if we turn to chapter 7, verse 21 through 22, we can read here. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, and we're talking that, that very important day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. See, to me, what that says, you know, we live in a world right now, right, where Kanye West is coming out with an album, Jesus is King, and it's controversial. Justin Bieber is saying he's a Christian and he's going to start a church, or maybe he did. I lost, I lost track of the news. Many political people, and I'm not bashing either of them, but many people who have a face in politics or the media or anything are coming out, and we don't know what to believe as Christians, right? We don't know their heart. Only the Lord knows their heart. But we're seeing this image of, well, I'm wearing a T-shirt that says, Jesus is king, so I must be a Christian. But I think it's something deeper than that. And I think right here we have Jesus' very own words, that it's a lot deeper than a T-shirt. It's a lot deeper than a rap album. In fact, it's a lot deeper than a really good worship album. It's about the heart and listening to the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we need to be on the lookout because Jesus also says in Scripture to look out for wolves in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? That's a great illustrated picture, but that means the person whose heart is not sold out for Christ, who's wearing the T-shirt. We as the church need to be people who don't just have the image of a follower of Christ, but have the words of a follower of Christ. Not just a piece of clothing. In fact, the name of Jesus is powerful because it's more than a name, because it's our Savior. This is what takes what the mainstream is calling or making a watery gospel and separates it from the true gospel. Sometimes we can get sidewinded because these messages from these other people are nice. The rap album sounds good. The shirt looks great and is a perfect fit. But what's the heart and what are they saying? What's actually coming out of them? But you might ask, you know, they're sharing the name of Jesus. Isn't that enough? And sure enough, there is power in the name. But there's one step further. And I kept thinking about who, 
from Scripture could be a good example of someone who doesn't just say the name of Jesus, but someone who actually lives it when it costs him everything. Now, I could have just named many people because the Scripture is full of people like that. But I felt, and you can jot this down for later, Acts chapter 7, uh, 6 and 7. There's a character called Stephen, right? And in my memory of Stephen, all I thought was, well, he's the first recorded martyr. So that's a beautiful thing. But there's so much more to Stephen I think we can take away, and I hope you guys will with me today too. Stephen was not an apostle. He was not one of the OG 12. You know, he was a firm believer, strong in his faith. And why was he called to the ministry? The apostles said, people are being treated unfairly. You have the two different types of the Jews, and they're treating certain people, especially the widows. And as we know in Scripture, it says you take care of those widows. And, he, and they said, they're being treated unfairly. They're being fed last. They're not even getting all that they need. What can we do? And the apostles said, what are we supposed to do? We, we have to devote ourselves to the, to the word of God and preaching. We don't have the time to do that. So what can we do? Well, we can assign certain people. Stephen, not being one of the original 12, was one of those men. They called on certain men who could wait on tables, who could feed people, who could do the smaller ministries and take care of different things. Equally important, but smaller ministries and do these tasks where the apostles went and preached the name of God and the word of God. And it says Stephen did many things. Many miracles happened under his hand. It's a beautiful thing. It was, it was wonderful. But that's not where it ends. Right? If we're in Acts, that isn't the end of the story. In fact, in chapter 7, we'll turn to 51. I should have marked that one. Jeez, it's not like I'm going to preach today. All right, let's see here. Acts. Acts, Acts, Acts. Actually, we can just bring it up there too. So, there we go. So in Acts chapter 7, things are getting heated. Now people from the synagogue, including the high priest who is now speaking to Stephen, is saying, we don't like what you're doing. You know, we don't like the words you're saying. We don't like the things you're doing. And these are people from the synagogue. We're not talking just a random gang who's sitting in the corner going, that guy's helping out people. Let's get him. We're talking people who are supposed to be doing the same thing he's doing are now pulling him aside and saying, we have a problem with you. We're bringing you before the guy who we think is the ultimate authority, the high priest. And they deliver this whole statement against him. you got to stop. You're terrible. And they said his face looked like that of an angel when they looked at him. It was so pure. And what was his response, though? Even with a pure face given by the Holy Spirit, his response was, and this is in Scripture. I'm not making this up. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. If you look at what he says following that, he gives them a history lesson. He gives them a history lesson on their own people. And he says all the way back to the prophets, you despised them, you threw things at them, you spat at them, all the way down to Jesus, you crucified him. And now it comes to us and you still are against me. But what was his defense? Not to say, me, me, me. It was to say, Jesus. It was in defense of the Holy Spirit and to say, you have got it wrong. See, it's one thing to wear the t-shirt. It's another thing to stand up for what you believe in. I have to admit, and this is a very sad story, but I was talking to a man twice my age one day in the gym, and he came up and he said, you know what? He knows I'm a missionary, and he's actually been to some of the ministries I was a part of, some of the productions I was a part of. And he says, you know, 
at the end of the day, all the religions are the same, right? You be a good person and you're okay. And this is a much more intimidating man than myself looking at me in the eye. And I'm going, well, I'm like, kind of, but not really. And he goes, yeah, pats me on the back and walks away. I can't tell you, in the moment, I was just frozen. I'm like, okay, I don't know what to say. But at the end of the day is, what we have to lean on is if you look at Peter's first message, which is one chapter before in Acts. I hope all you are going to just do a personal at-home study of Acts because I'm raving about it right now. If you look, rewind just one chapter, Peter ends his first sermon, and someone says, how do we do what you just said? How? His first word, give you a hint, it starts with an R, repent. How many of us are just saying sweet words, patting people on the back, saying, yeah, it's almost the same message, but not really. You know, just check the T-shirt. It says, you know, John 3.16 on it, so you'll read it, right? And they're leaving without salvation. They're leaving without knowing what to do. What's the next step? How do I put this into practice? Repent. The reason why I am so on fire about this is because I failed so many times in my life. Because I fell for the idea of just show them Jesus by a smile. Just wear the t-shirt that says he loves you. Is that going to save their soul? Is that really saying repent? And I have a burden on me for those times where I really just phoned it in. It's much easier to say Jesus loves you than it is to say repent because that's what he really wants. Yes, he loves you, but he wants you to repent so you can be with him. So how? How do we do this? And, and let's rewind a minute. What happened to Stephen? They didn't say, oh, you got us. Good history lesson. You're right. We do hate all that you're doing. Go about your way. They got so mad. It says there was gnashing of teeth from them. I don't know about you guys. In Revelation, there's another verse that says there's gnashing of teeth. Actually, not Revelation, Matthew. Jesus says there's a place where there's gnashing of teeth. My mind goes to Revelation because it's hell. Um, when we think about it, that is such a scary word. What is gnashing of teeth? I don't think I've ever, I, don't, I hope I've never seen it, but I can picture it's a terrible thing. They were that mad at him that when he left, there was gnashing of teeth, and they couldn't help but stone him. And, but here's what's beautiful. As believers, this is what we focus on. It's not the stoning is that he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Any other time in scripture, what's he doing? It says he will be seated at the right hand of God, but he stands, why? To welcome his son home, who died for him. If you think about that, and that's literally all we have to assume, it doesn't say why, but theologians have guessed that that's why, and I firmly agree with that, is that it says he stood. He, saw, he says, I see the son of God standing at the right hand of God. If you, if you think about that, it is beautiful. The first recorded martyr in all of scripture, in all of history, recorded martyr right there, seeing Jesus stand up. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's what we have to lean on, is that he looked up and it says he went to sleep. doesn't say he died brutally after those, that stoning, which I can imagine is a terrible way to go. It says he fell asleep as they stoned him. There are some beautiful things to get from that. So I encourage you, read Acts chapter 6 and 7. Uh, you can start with one if you want and read the whole book. That would be nice. But um, chapter 6 and 7 are beautiful. So we're at this crossroads now, right, church? We're at this crossroads. We're almost there. We're almost landing the plane. Okay, I got the image. I got what we're doing. But how? How, how do I have the courage to be bold? Because let's be real. Everyone's walk is different. Everyone's life is different. You don't have the same job as me. You don't have the same job as me. We all have you don't have the same job as each other. We're all in different places. So how do we be doers of the word? when we're all doing different things with our life. In fact, even the disciples, once Christ died, when Jesus came back to visit them, where were they? 
fishing. So we all are in different places in life. So how do we do this? Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, not far from where we were. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we're going to link this thing in a whole kind of loop. We're going to go right back to where we were. The church was exploding. Things were going beautiful. Many were coming to his name. Um, in fact, if you rewind just to verse 38, it says, Peter said to them, repent. We're at this key part of repent and be baptized. And if we zip over to chapter 2, verse 42, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, there's that F word, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't doing this every single day, keeping Jesus' name on my mind and in my heart to the teaching. There's tons of good teaching out there right now. There's a lot of bad teaching, so you need to be aware. Wolves in sheep clothing. But teaching, it starts with here. Pastors Paul and Kathy are great teachers, in my opinion. So if we sit here and we go, teaching, okay, dive in. Fellowship. I don't know about you, but I see more than five people here. And to me, more than five people can have fellowship. So fellowship, continuing that study, continuing that structure, breaking of bread. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he didn't mean once a month. Break bread with each other. Spend time. Thank God for what you have when you're around each other. And to prayer. I, I feel like no matter where you are in life, we can always use more prayer. It's the medicine we just can't get enough of. Right there, that verse gives us a guideline on just like how I woke up after having that, that fire with those men to sit back and go, I want this every day. Here's how. Says it right in his scripture. If we're not incorporating fellowship into our lives, our many hobbies, our work, our favorite food, our favorite couch will become our new Lord. It will become the thing that waters down our faith to where little by little he goes down and something else goes up. Those days where you find yourself getting anxious about this or that, it's almost like a check engine light to say, hey, am I filling myself up with teaching, with prayer, with thanksgiving, with fellowship? Or have I been missing one of those things and should I fill up my tank with that? That check engine light is key. That anxiety is not a bad thing. It's a warning to say, am I really keeping my mind in what God is saying? So back to Luca. Right? I like to bring everything back to my son because he's my favorite thing right now, aside from God um, and my wife. <clears throat> so <laughs> trying to go home happy today. So imagine the same little kid who you can, all, you can wave to. He loves waving. So as you go out, feel free to say hi. He's in the nursery. Um, on, on, when, think about that same kid, though, who's walking just on his own, big steps. He runs now, too. He kind of tippy-toe runs, too, which is kind of funny. Um, imagine that same kid. But imagine him knowing that even if he doesn't look, his dad's right behind him. Imagine that same kid. He would be invincible. Well, I want to encourage you that when you walk, your father's right behind you, ready to catch you, ready to block anything that's coming your way. Doesn't matter what it is. Ready to cover you. That anxiety is far gone. That's why I titled this, to bring it back to the title, Separation Anxiety, because no, it's not, we're not looking at the clinical meaning of it, but to say, when we are feeling that anxiety, it's because we are separate from our Father. Something is trying to block us. And if we pause and pray, we remember, he's right there. So I'd like to end on Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I know we're jumping around, but hey, the scripture's all there and it all agrees, so we can. We're going to go over to Philippians 4, 6, which says, I'd love to just 
leave you guys on, on, a, on a more positive note. A lot of heavy things were said here today, and I want to wrap up with uh, just a, uh, an encouraging note of be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So there is a, there is a little clause there of you got to have this too. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to encourage you today, church, that we do have a father who has already conquered the enemy, who has already been there, and we can lean on him, as Hebrews puts it, because he's been through every trial. His son has gone through every single trial and then died for our sins, not in vain, so that way we can know he's with us. Does it mean things will be perfect and comfortable? No. Does it mean we get to conquer from our comfort zone and sit on the couch? No. But it means he's there behind us through every single trial, through everything that we're going through. I don't know about what your life looks like, but in my life, I feel like there's a constant trial. One thing, okay, it's done, something else pops up. These past two years have just been endless, zigzagging through this to that to this to that. But at the end of everything, there's a testimony. The testimony isn't about how good you are. The testimony is about how good God is. And that's what every testimony should be. So I want to encourage you to say, keep your eyes focused on the Father and know he's right there behind you. Uh, I've had such an honor to be able to share. If any of you would like uh, to grab one of my cards to get to know us more or spend time talking, uh, my wife and I, a small testimony from us is that when we first landed back in uh, the U.S. after being in Rome, we had a donor because of COVID who had dropped our, we had a gap in our funding, and this donor was tithing off their business, so our drop was about $2,000 of what we needed monthly. And praise God, that number has gone down to $100 a monthly needed. So that is just to say a testimony to how God works. And we've seen that left and right through the things he's done, through even me becoming a personal trainer over this past year to use that for his kingdom. So if you have questions, and there is no question too bold, why Rome? I don't quite get it. Why Europe? Why fitness as ministry? House church, how are, you, how are you even going to do something so bold? Feel free to catch me out back or catch my wife. We will give you a card. We'd love to get together with you. But that being said, I just want to say thank you guys so much for just everything uh, that, you, that you guys do here at High Street Worship Center. Thank you for having me.